Well, here we are again. So I need to hold that closer. Can I just hold it here? Whoever's on the, give me a little bit more. There you go. Thanks, Ben. Good to be together. And as Dave said, we're working our way through these um, different weeks as we look at this parable. Um, my name's Tim. If you are new here, it's, it is great to have you here. We're so glad as a church to be able to meet at Coffs Harbour High School, that they let us meet here. They're awesome. And, and that they let us run the Summer Days program all week long. We're really grateful and um, glad to be here and glad that you could be here with us tonight. Well done for braving the weather. Um, you, you had to put in the hard yards to be here, so good job. And I, and I pray that you will be blessed by this time just now. Um, some of you are used to looking at the Bible together and you've heard these things before. Um, you're feeling pretty comfy. You're okay. Some of you, this is, you're feeling a bit nervous because you're thinking, this is new for me. I've been in a school hall before, but I've never really done the church thing before and the Bible thing. You're wondering what's about to happen. Hang in there. You'll be, you'll, you'll be right. We'll get through this together. Um, what, what we're looking at just now is one of Jesus's most famous parables. In fact, whether you're a Christian or not, have read the Bible or not before, you will have heard of the term prodigal son. Am I right? It's kind of part of our vocabulary as a country, the concept of a prodigal. Well, this is Jesus' most well-known parable that he tells. And Jesus tells a bunch of parables or stories during his ministry years to just try to communicate deep truths so that they'd stick in our minds and we'd catch real things about God and real things about us. And so this story is hopefully going to help us do that. We've been looking at a different um, different figure in the story, a different person in the story each week. Last week we looked at the younger son, the one that runs off. Um, and that, that was pretty deep last week. This week we look at the father. Next week we're going to look at the older son, which is going to be awesome as well. But this week's the father, which is where we get to meet the figure that the younger son meets when he comes home. The prodigal encounters the man of the father as he comes back home. And it's in this moment that we're going to focus and, and think deeply. And it's a pretty stunning moment. In fact, the moment where the lost son comes home and meets the father has been the moment that's captured people for centuries and centuries. In fact, there's a lot of Renaissance art that was painted about this moment where the son meets the father again because he's surprised by what he meets. One of the most famous one is a Rembrandt, and if I was organised enough, I would have got a picture of it and brought it up on the screen, but nothing's going to appear behind me right now. And I, I can see your eyes kind of looking, you're waiting for it. Anyway, go and look at Rembrandt's paintings. But the concept is... A lot of people have been so captured by this story that famous paintings have been done. We're going to get the chance to slow down if we can take it right now and catch some details that take us to some really deep truths about the God of the universe, the God who the Bible says made us, and, and, and also things about ourselves. So if you can slow down with us and just take a moment now, you're going to catch some deep things. Um, when I finish and just... I don't know. I'm not going to go for too long tonight. Um, but when I do finish, I'm going to pray a prayer that we've been calling the Heading Home Prayer. We've been doing it at the end of the sermon these last few weeks. I'm going to pray it again tonight so that you can be ready. You might be someone who has been away from God and his people for a long time. And this, this is, you're feeling like a fresh start is what is needed. And maybe for you, this, this prayer that we pray at the end can be a way for you to head back home. Um, you might be someone who's totally new to this, 
but you, you've had this stirring in your spirit for a while that's been nudging you in this direction. And for you, this prayer might be, I'm going to try and come home to this God for the very first time. Yep. But whatever it is, um, I'm going to pray that prayer in a little while. And I want you to see whether this is the moment that you might want to take. Have a look at verse 20. And the first little line there says, so he got up and he went to his father. This is the moment where the prodigal son who's run away finds himself at rock bottom and makes a decision. Because when he's hit rock bottom, the story describes that he comes to his senses and he realises what he's done and where he is and he gets up from the mess and he decides to turn and go back home to his father. It's the turning point in the story. It's a massive moment. Now, let me just kind of read on from verse 20. So, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. That's a warm welcome, is it not? It's not what he was expecting to find when he came to his father, but it's a stunning, warm welcome home. Now, you might think as you look at this, yeah, well, of course the father would welcome home like that. What kind of father wouldn't? And you might even look at the language, the little speech that he began when he first met his father there in verse 21, where he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You might catch that and think, oh, that sounds a little bit overly dramatic. You know, surely, how can he not be worthy to be called this man's son anymore? You, You might think that if you haven't seen what he's just done. But if you've been tracking with us or you know this parable... What the son has just done to his father and to his whole family is huge. It's actually incredibly offensive and insulting what he's just done to his family. And it's worth just picking that up for those of you who haven't been with us on this journey. It's worth catching this. Basically, the son has left and he's burnt a lot of them. Big family burn on his dad and the whole family. Because what he did was, he came to his father before his father was dead, and he demanded his share of the inheritance. And he's not even the oldest son. In the ancient world, it was typically the only the oldest son. That got, but he comes and he demands his share, and he demands it now. He wants a share of the whole family's estate while the family's still living on the estate and still using the estate and the livestock for their livelihood. He says, I want my half and I want it now. It's huge. It's basically like going up to a father and saying, I actually wish you were dead because what I want is your stuff, not you. I don't want you. I don't care about you. I just want your wealth and I want it now. Can you see how insulting that is? Can you see how offensive that is? 
Can you see how heavy it is? The father actually decides to divide up the estate in this story that Jesus tells. And, and, and that would have been a big pain to the family, wouldn't it? Chopping off half the estate, selling off half the livestock, offering half of the wealth to this one younger son. And then the son packs up his bags, he takes the family wealth and he leaves for another place and spends the lot of it in what's described as wild living. He's just partying hard. And he, and he whittles it all down to nothing. There's the family burn. Can you see what he's done? Now, we can, we can catch that and shake our heads and think, what kind of a son would do that? Here's the truly shocking thing about it. Jesus actually tells this parable so that you and I would catch a sense of the picture of how we treat God. That's the heavy thing about this story. As we shake our head at the younger son, we're actually meant to catch the picture of what we do to the one who made us. And you might think, what are you talking about? I've never done anything like that to God. Okay, just catch this. When we take life that God gives us and demand good things from him throughout our whole life, and then basically just run off and live our lives apart from God, ignoring God without much reference to the one who gave us life, that is what we're doing. When we demand, I want my share of life now, and then run off and live without regard for him, we're being just like the younger son. When we demand good things from him, but then abandon him, ignore him, live without regard for him, we're latching onto the gifts of life and ignoring the giver and we're missing the big thing the best thing we want the creation but we turn from the creator and we reject him can you see how that is deeply insulting and deeply offensive it's not it's not easy for us to catch this about ourselves because it's pretty hard to accept but can you see what we have done to the one who made us and you can, can you see how when we live this way, we actually show ourselves to be lost. We show ourselves to be prodigals who are far from the one who made us and loves us. Can you understand the burn that we have given God? It's called sin. That's what the Bible calls it. But the funny thing is when we hear the word sin, we usually think sin is the mistakes that good people make. And the Bible goes, no, 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 I'll tell you what sin is. Sin is this condition that you and I have all got where we actually want stuff from God, but we don't want him. And it's a condition of the heart and it's huge, it's massive. And this parable is Jesus trying to help us catch how heavy it is. And the reason why you've got to catch it is because if you don't catch how heavy the burn is, then you don't see how amazing it is that we would be welcomed home by God in the way he does. Yep. If you can catch the burn that the younger son, the prodigal son, gives to his father, then, then you'll shake your head at how gracious and merciful the father has been when he welcomes him home. It is stunning. Look at verse 20. So he got up and went home to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Catch the details here. The father sees the son coming from a long way off. How? 
Likely because he's been waiting and he's been watching and he's been longing for his son who bailed to come back. And and when he does come back, the father's not full of anger and frustration, though he definitely would have been hurt and offended. There's something that overwhelms his pain and it's called compassion because that is what our God is like. And he's full of compassion and that overwhelms him and controls his behaviour. And his behaviour is to actually run to the son. Now, you've got to catch this. In the ancient world, um, respectable men did not run anywhere. (laughs) It was a very undignified thing for a respectable man of a household to run. But this is what he does. He, He would have had to hitch up his cloak, bare his legs, and bolt through the streets while all these neighbours are like, what is this nutcase doing? People would have been shaking their head, undignified. And when he gets to his son, he throws his arms around his son and kisses his son, which in the ancient time was basically a huge sign of family affection. So in the father's eyes, this guy is still his son. And he welcomes him with the kind of greeting that you would give to your family it's beautiful. But I, I want to, I was thinking, how can we reflect on this moment really helpfully? I was thinking, is there some video footage I can get to kind of help us watch it? Um, or are there some images I can put on the screen? And then I found myself thinking, no, there's something far better than that. And that is your mind's eye, your ability to imagine this your ability to picture it in your head. And, and, and I want you to try and do that now. You've probably already been doing it just during this verse, but I want to slow down and give you a little bit more time to picture it. You might even want to, if you don't feel too weird about this, you might even want to just shut your eyes so you can picture it. And I'm just going to walk through the details and give a little bit more, and I want you to picture the scene. I want you to catch it. So if you feel comfortable, close your eyes, do it. If you don't, that's okay. Off to your left, on the horizon, appears a figure. It's the sun. He's barefoot. His feet are blistered. He's sunburnt. And he's stumbling along. He's hunched over. He's dirty. He stinks. He's wearing rags. He's dehydrated. He's been starving to death. And so he's emaciated. He doesn't look much like that healthy son who left a little while back. And then off to the right, in the far distance, is the father. A long way off. Standing on his front porch. Staring out into the distance squinting at the horizon he does this every day but this day he thinks he sees something he's not sure but he can't help but to get his hopes up because he's longing for his son to return back to the sun he's still shuffling along his head is down because he's worried He's fearful about what he's going to encounter when he comes face to face with his father again, let alone the whole family again. 
He knows what he deserves, and it's not a warm welcome. He starts to wonder whether maybe he should have just stayed away and died. But he keeps shuffling along, and as he does, he gets closer. The father can now see clearer. He can see that it's definitely a person, and as he studies the shape and the movement of this person, his heart leaps out of his chest because he's convinced it's his son. And he can't just stand there and wait for his son to keep shuffling. He can't do it. He has to go. So he picks up his cloak, bears his legs, and bolts towards his son. His heart is beating so fast, he's so excited, and there's these tears of joy that are just streaming down his face. The son senses that someone's coming towards him, and so he lifts his head. And he sees it's his father. It stops him in his tracks. The father is running straight at him. He's concerned, am I going to get bowled over? and beaten up and given a lecture. But then he sees his father's face and he sees his father's eyes and he sees his father's tears and then he feels a whopping big embrace of warmth as his father wraps his big arms around him and lifts him off the ground and holds him tight. The son just weeps and goes limp, just buries his head into his father's chest and stays there for a good amount of time until finally the father pulls his son away from him so that he can see his face. And that's the moment the son decides, this is when I need to start my speech. And so he begins. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the, the father interrupts, just stops him, doesn't want to hear it, doesn't actually need to hear it. He's seen what he needs to see. His son has turned home. That's all he needed to see for him to come and welcome him back. Can you see it? Well, I hope that was helpful. If you caught that, you're catching a glimpse of what our God is like. We've got a God who runs to embrace us. We've got a God who welcomes us home. We've got a God who doesn't just stand back with his arms crossed, cranky, frustrated, waiting for us to get our act together, but a God who comes seeking and searching and he's longing for all his children to come back. And he's full of compassion and mercy and he throws his arms out wide and he welcomes us. Love, protection, and a whole bunch of you know that. You know those arms. You know that protection, you know that acceptance. 
The way our God does this, run to us and welcome us, is ultimately through Jesus. That's how he actually does it. He, he, he gets all undignified and he's, God the Son is willing to leave the glory of being God in heaven and come down and into this and become one of us so that he would live a life on our behalf that we couldn't live and then go to the cross and die a death in our place, bearing upon himself the penalty for our waywardness and then he rises again from the dead to turn and offer this beautiful warm forgiveness that we desperately need our God comes for us in the person of Jesus compassion it's in Jesus that a way is made back home for us a way back to the father and I tell you what for all those who can turn Come to your senses and just turn and head back home to the one who made you, you will be immediately welcomed. Like, it, it's not like you come back and then God's like, right, well, this is a trial period. You need to get your life together. You need to get yourself all religious, learn all the Christian words, and then we can talk about a life together. God, God just needs you to turn and He's going to embrace you and welcome you back and fully reinstate you as a son or daughter. Immediately, God goes, oh, you're mine, you belong, I'll give you my name, you're in. This is the God we have. You get the embrace, the kiss, the acknowledgement that you're his. This is the God we meet. And you know, in verse 22 there, um, with the other details that happen, look, look, look at it. But, fa but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. They're all symbols of like a, a son who belongs again. Like he rocks up in rags and the father's like, get the family robe. Bring it really quickly because I want to dress him so he looks like what he is to me. I want him to look like my son. So get the good one, put it on him and get the family ring and get that back on his finger. Yep, he's my son. I want him looking like my son. I want the symbols there because this is who he is to me. And put some sandals on his feet, for goodness sake. The poor guy's been walking for days in the dust. I want to dress him. I want to love him. I want to care for him. It's the family attire. Legitimate member again. Position, status, name, inheritance. You come back. God's got you. And then there's more, isn't there? Look at verse 23. He's like, um, bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to have a feast and celebrate. And those of you who are vegetarians or vegans, you kind of get a little bit, I don't know, it's just a little bit shocking to hear that kind of stuff. But in the ancient world, the concept of getting the fattened calf and killing it is to basically do a really expensive thing. It's, it's, it's to kind of, you know, be lavish, um, acknowledge a really significant event. Typically only weddings, you'd kill the fattened calf. So this is dad going, oi, this is huge. We're going to celebrate. Let's party. And they do. There's music and there's dancing and there's feasting because the father's trying to communicate how big this is. And the language says it, doesn't he? He's like, my son who is dead, not actually dead, but dead to me, he, he, he ran off and died to me. He's alive again because he's back. My son, who was lost, 
is found and we are going to party, we are going to celebrate because this is important and valuable. In fact, there's nothing better than what's happening here. This is what the Father's communicating and through this, this is what we're meant to understand about our God. Nothing is bigger to him than lost sons and daughters like you and I coming home. Nothing causes him to get more excited than when someone comes to their senses and shuffles back home broken because he's the God who embraces he's a God of compassion and he knows how to party if your picture of God is that he's a bit of a party pooper yeah that's, that's not who he is he knows how to do this and he does it every time a lost person comes home so he's doing it constantly it's a pretty amazing reality and I hope you're catching it it's particularly amazing because, it, it, well, actually, you might not think it's that amazing to be welcomed like this. And if you don't, if you think, yeah, of course, that could be a symptom of our condition that we've got, which is a tendency to see ourselves as very deserving of all good things and entitled to every good thing. And of course, God should welcome me. But what we actually discover when we dig in here is that actually, because of our offence and our insult and disrespect towards him, it's actually not what we deserve. Yeah. We've taken from him and lived without him. We've taken the gift, rejected the giver. And so what we actually deserve, and this is so hard to hear, what we actually deserve is actually serious reprimand. But what we can get is the opposite. Yeah. What's on offer is an experience of the one who made you of compassion and acceptance and warmth and respect. It's insane. You know, it's, it's, it's everything. He longs for us to return to him and he delights to show mercy. He will not force himself upon you. But if you know you need this and you're coming to your senses, then humble yourself Head home. And this is who you'll find. To humble yourself and turn and head home, the Bible calls that repentance. But it's just a turning and a heading back. And if you do, this is the God you'll meet. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to pray that prayer, the heading home prayer. And um, I, I kind of want to say, if any of this has made sense to you for the first time today, it's not me all right? It's not the aeroplane flying over the top of us. It's not because I've figured out how to say it. If this is making sense, chances are it is God helping it make sense for you. He's in the business of helping it make sense. And if there's a stirring you and a pulling in you, don't ignore that. This could very well be the one who made you, calling you back to him, where life is really found. Don't ignore, don't ignore this stirring. And so well, I'll give you an opportunity to pray this prayer with me now. And maybe for the very first time, you're thinking, I think I need to do this. I don't know what happens next. These Christians are a bit crazy. I, I, I don't know what I'm signing up for. Don't worry about that. We'll work that out. Well, you'll work that out. This is about you doing business with God and responding to him and letting him welcome you home. So if you know you need to do it, just do it.
I'm not going to pressure you to do it. It's totally up to you. And I won't know if you've done it. It's totally up to you. But if you know you need to do it, do it. If you've been away from God and his people for a good while and you're thinking, yeah, it's time for a fresh start, use the prayer for that. Why not? If you've been home the whole time and you're like, yeah, but I just want to, I just want to be more home. <laughs> I just want to be more present. I want to, I actually want to appreciate the father that I've got. Use the prayer for that. Yep. Let me pray it. And as I pray it, it's a simple prayer. I'll just pray a line and then I'll just go quiet. And that's a chance for you in your own mind and heart to pray it to God if you'd like to. Okay. So let me pray. Father, God, I'm coming to my senses. I want to turn and head home. I know I don't deserve your welcome. But please welcome me home. Please embrace me. Please forgive me. Please accept me and have me back as your legitimate child. Amen.